hello and welcome to another episode of Read and React. I'm Ben Ladner, and joining me on the other line is John Sauber. How you doing, man? I am delightful. Uh, it is a busy weekend ahead, uh, which should be a fun weekend. Work, fun, all of that stuff. Uh, the thing I'm probably looking forward to least is Sixers Bucks on Saturday night, uh, because I know how that movie ends. I've seen it before. Uh, but no, should be uh, should be. An, it is an exciting time of year in the world of uh, Penn State athletics, in the world of uh, the NBA, and in college basketball in general. So, Sixers Bucks, a matchup we might go into more detail on uh, in just a few minutes. Speaking of which, a matchup we discussed on the last episode in in quite a bit of detail is happening tonight. Yep. Grizz Nugs. In well, it also happened like three days before we recorded last it time. It did. Too. Yeah, they have a bunch of games. A couple of games here smashed together. I'm, I'm in- interested for the Nuggets perspective coming off the, the blowout loss to the Grizz, um, how well, that will and unfold, I think what will... adjustments they might make, and if any of the things we speculated about might actually come true in this game. So I'll be, I'll be fascinated to watch that. The Grizzlies are five-point underdogs in that game. That's a lot. Yeah, I guess when you, when you count for the altitude and Denver being really good at home and all of that, and what that does not account for is them getting smoked by the same team six days ago. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the Nuggets also smoked the Grizzlies like a couple yeah. months ago. Remember, they were they were neck and neck for first place in the West, and then the Nuggets beat them yeah. down on national TV and just took off, and the Grizz kind of went in the opposite direction. I think what this actually shows is that there are going to be a ton of people uh, that bet on Memphis tonight because of what happened last week, right? And I'm like, oh, that's crazy. Like, I just sort of inferred. Vegas is always right, or almost always right. Probably going to be a Nuggets win by seven, if I had to guess. It's been it's been a tough year for the Grizz. Do we, I mean, we don't need to get into some of the recent reports that have come out uh, this past week. But I just... find the Grizzlies to be so before. And I think you'd probably agree with this. Uh, Dylan Brooks was the most annoying thing about the Grizz. Uh, and now I think the most annoying thing about the Grizz is the Grizz. Yeah, it's and, like their whole. I was just going to ask you, have they gone for? Because last year we were singing their praises about how cool they were, how much fun they were. This upstart team that's not afraid of anybody, and now I feel like they're kind of like that guy that you knew in college who was like a really good hang. He was really fun, but then the more you got to know him, it was kind of like, yeah, you wanted right, to, this you is wanted maybe a little bit like... too much. I actually don't love being around you as much as I thought I did. You know, I'm I'm getting that same energy from the Grizz this year, which is a real disappointment because I loved watching them last year, and this year they've they've kind of turned into a villain a little bit. Yeah, and I don't even know, if, like villain might be understatement. Like, <laughs> just like I don't know their their whole uh, ethos is. It feels different than last year, though, right? Like it's it doesn't feel like it just getting to know them more and finding out you're not liking them. It's like they've there's changed. Others, yeah, they've changed, right? There's, like, there's the friend you from change. college you see again. You're like, bro. You're different, what man. What, what's what, the deal? What happened to you? Yeah. Like, no, I don't. I don't want to buy any crypto. Thank you, though. <laughs> yeah, the Grizz have turned into the crypto bros of the NBA. Yeah, they really have. Just off well, the that, deep end. That is a that is a a damning statement. By well, there, us. there's also there's also an element of like they got to the second round last year. A nice season, second round. They pushed the Warriors, and they came back like they won the championship. And it was like, okay. You yeah. made the second round. It was a nice story. You played well, well against the, thing the, is like the they... team that eventually won the championship, but they came back with this energy of like, we've done this now, and now we're at the top of the mountain fending people off. It's like, no, actually, you're still climbing up the mountain, scrapping with other teams, trying to knock the Warriors and these other, the Bucks and the Celtics, these established teams off the hill. Like, you're not there yet. And they kind of carry themselves as though they are there yet. 
Um, and that that is a little off-putting. And I think the, the rest of the league has found that a little bit off-putting as well. They carried themselves that way too, though. Last year, it's just they had no frame of reference. So it was all like, oh, it's fine. Like they're going to be great in the postseason. And they were great in the postseason. Yeah. They may uh, well be just, great in the postseason again. Yeah, I don't know. I like 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 I said, uh, it's just they've they've changed and they're they're also like John Morant's not nearly as good as he was last year. This is there's a that's com- the other like, thing. We we will eventually do on BA and like he's not even in consideration. Like he's, I was gonna say, I th- I was thinking about this last night. If we were to redo all star teams, I don't think he would make it. Yeah, I, I mean it's hard. I, I said on the last episode. De'Aaron Fox has been a better scorer than John Morant this year. I think most people would have been close. Right. But I think most people would would not off the top of their head agree with that because John Morant kind of has this reputation. But that's the other thing is like Jaw has come back. And not only is there, you know, all the trash talk and some of the off court stuff that we won't get into with him, but like he hasn't playing as well on the court. And so it's harder to back up all of this other stuff when you're not actually substantiating your talk and your actions with your play. And so now it just kind of like the rest of the Grizz, he's kind of emblematic of, it just kind of feels like empty words without a lot of substance behind it. And and the regression on the court, particularly from him, especially the way Jaron has stepped forward this year. I was just going to ask who's the Grizz best player. Well, I think their identity is most closely tied to Jaron. I do too. And I, I think actually the, well, I mean, we did this last year. When he last missed, year right. Well, well yeah. this is the thing I was just going to say this. Their splits last year when John Morant leaves the court make a little more sense now, right? Like it all and like, their record with that, yeah. And I don't want to, I don't want to do this. Should they trade John Morant thing? But I mean, listen, I'll say I was. It's right there. You'll remember, and I, I don't, I try not to do this very often, but I, I was kind of asking this question a little bit last year. Is there something to these these strange on off splits with Jaw? This really good record that the Grizz have without Jaw, even in the playoffs after he went down. They were still really competitive. They still looked really good. I think there's, again, it, it's just, I think there's something to the idea that when without him on the floor, because he's so bad defensively and he's not, whether it's because he doesn't have the offensive talent around him or because he's not that guy offensively, the Grizz are a defense first team. Like that's their identity and they can maintain that identity and in fact, be even better defensively without jaw. And if he's not taking them to that high offensive level, then it's like he becomes maybe a little bit more fungible. Not that he is totally expendable on that team. Obviously he's central to what they do, but the idea that he's like their Damian Lillard or their Steph Curry, I think, I think it's a little too soon to put him in that class. And we have now more and more evidence that he doesn't belong in that class. And I would be calling Portland right now. I'd be like, Hey, when we both get bounced, like, you'll move Dame for job. Does that sound fun? I don't think Portland would do that. <laughs> They're too, they're too obsessed with Lillard, man. They are, but I also think that that's the kind of talent, though, that you could kind of trick them into, right? Like, Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's I'm never going to have, to be clear. I, no, I don't think no, this will no. ever happen. But No, well, I mean, if it keeps going, now it's going. Like, I don't want to By the way, never. I meant to say this in the last episode, and I, I kind of forgot to say it, but the, when we were talking about what team do the Grizz not want to see and what's the worst matchup, we kind of landed on, well, there really isn't one team in the West that, scares you statistically but as I, as I was going through memphis and kind of looking at their statistical profile and their personnel and style i actually think if there were another team if you just cloned memphis yes. and put them in the west that would be the team the grizz don't want to see yes. and that might sound obvious it's like of course no team wants to like of course a team is going to be well suited to match up with itself but i think the grizz in particular just like for example they struggle to defensive rebound but they're the only contender in the west that really 
creates an advantage on the offensive boards. So like that defensive rebounding weakness matched with that offensive rebounding strength. If there were another team that offensive rebounded the way they did, that would be a real problem. Um, their half court offense is not very good, but their half court defense is elite. So if they ran into a team that was as good as them defensively in the half court, their half court offense would have some real problems, but that team isn't really there other than themselves. And obviously well, other than other than yourself. teams in the East, right? Like all three right. teams, I think that we would say are contenders in the East kind of don't match up well with yeah. the Grizz, right? Like, and we've seen that. Um, but yeah, I think that's as good a segue as we're going to get <laughs> into the actual discussion today. Uh, unless there's news that I'm missing that, that we need. To I don't discuss. think so. Let's, let's dive in. We, we left off. If you missed the last episode, I would recommend going back um, to get, we, I thought we went into some pretty interesting detail about a lot of these teams and kind of what theoretical playoff matchups between these West contenders could look like uh, the point of the exercise, as will be the point this time with the Eastern conference was essentially what team in the West does each contender in the West not want to see in the playoffs. So we'll do the same with the East this year, uh, this episode, um, and give it some more room to breathe. Technically, we, also this year, this episode is happening this yes, year. Yes, that, that is true. That is true. Which team do you want to start with? May as well start at the top, right? The Bucks, right? Yeah, which is uh, weird. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, it feels like it's been Boston forever. Uh, this one this one was kind of cut and dry for me. Uh, I, I don't think they want to see Boston. Like, I just... And I think that's an easy way out for a lot of teams. But Boston has enough guys that you can throw at Giannis to make life difficult. Uh, you know, you can put Jalen Brown on him because he can physically match up with him and he's athletic enough to match up with him. Same with Jason Tatum. Same with Grant Williams. Same with Al Horford. Like, same with Robert Williams. Like, they just have a ton of guys that can throw at him. Uh, I also consider the Sixers because Embiid has given Giannis trouble in the past. Uh, same thing with Mobley and Allen. But it feels like the, Mobley and Allen in Cleveland, like, need to be combined into one guy, right? Like the combination of those two is great against Giannis, but like each of them individually, it doesn't really matter. Um, I feel like this is going to be a lot of just talking about these top four teams in the East because yeah. no one else in the conference really scares these other teams. But I think, I think Milwaukee doesn't want to see Boston at this point. This is interesting. The Bucs have won 16 in a row. As you said, they play the the Sixers in their next game. That'll probably be the toughest test they've had in that a while. That will probably be number 17. Yeah. Which by the way, it, like, is anyone talking about the Bucs win streak i feel like i'm not hearing anything no about this. I, I, th I think a lot of what is what is happening is we are the knicks are also on a seven game win streak and no one's oh, <laughs> talking about that bad boy either so are we doing the thing where we're like no one's talking about this and we're saying that so much no that i just think it's early it. march and like everyone's like okay. all right let's get the show on the road here you yeah. know like it's and it's not like their schedule has been a murderer's row yeah and, and i mean like you said that that sixers game is gonna be a test but they beat i mean they've beaten the nuggets in that span they beat the clippers they beat the heat they beat the Lakers, they beat the Celtics, they beat the Heat again, they beat the Suns pre-Kevin Durant. But yeah, it's there's like five or six good wins in there, like for sure. Yeah. But anytime you get to face uh, the Pistons, the Pacers, the Pelicans, the Hornets, uh, the Bulls, the Nets post-trade, and the Magic, uh, I think people are probably going to take it a little less serious. Not, not to say it's not impressive, but it's yeah. just, I think that's why it's not getting quite the attention. Yeah, if they win up. Saturday, I bet it will turn into a national thing just because yeah. that, that that game's national TV, primetime, all that stuff. So They're up to fourth in net rating, plus 5.0. Boston, by the way, still plus 6.3. That's first in the NBA. So you could still make the case, I think, Boston's the best team in the league. Real uh, quick, in the Eastern if, the Bucks, at least. if the Bucks get 17, that thing's getting to 20. Wizards, Magic, Nets. Yeah. Although you never so, know, the longer these win streaks no, get, no, the, the more no, the possibility no. for a trap game. 
Nope. Have um, you watched the Nets since uh, since the I trade? I have a little bit, yeah. It's been bad. It's a little disappointing. It's, it's really bad. They are still 17th in offense, the Bucks. That's not encouraging, and it really stands out when you stack them up against some of the other best teams in the league. But their defense, first in the NBA, 109 and a half, which, which feels weird to say, like a team giving up almost 110 points per 100 leads the league in defense, but that's just where we are offensively. But 17th in defense area in offense, not totally encouraging. We've wondered all year about their playoff offense. I actually thought the team they match up with the worst is the Sixers, um, partly because I feel like I mean they've run into the Celtics so many times in the playoffs, it feels like, during Giannis's prime. I don't really think they have a great matchup for Giannis, the Celtics, that is. like He really obliterated Jalen Brown last year. That was the matchup they sought out. They wanted to get Brown switched onto Giannis on the left block and let him go to work. And he drew fouls. He got to the rim. Same with Tatum. Like none of those guys, Al Horford is the only guy historically on that team who's really been able to do anything with Giannis defensively. And he's now older. I'm not sure he's going to be able to, to manage that matchup in quite the same way. So for Boston, I, I, I mean, we both agree. I think if they'd had Chris Middleton in last year's series, the bucks win that series. And so for me, that's, I mean, it's still a tough matchup. The Celtics are still an elite defense, uh, with the Bucks' struggles offensively, they I don't think they want to run into Boston before the conference finals if those end up being the the one and two seeds in the conference. Um, but to me, Philly, the fact that they can just keep Embiid kind of hanging around the paint, um, that's we've seen that be effective in the past with Giannis, and they'll just lay off him on the ball or, or even pressure him up and force him into Embiid as as the waiting help defender. So I think they can pose some issues. And, you know, while I don't worry too much about Milwaukee's ability to slow down James Harden, Brooke Lopez is kind of the only guy that can really do anything with Embiid on that roster. And you could go through and say, no team has more than one guy, if that many, but I I still kind of feel like as well as I think Lopez can do against Embiid. I just, if he gets into foul trouble or if for whatever reason, it becomes a tough matchup for him to play in, then it just becomes really hard to see what the Bucs can do against Joel Embiid because as good as their defense is, it's not really built to deal with that kind of one-on-one matchup, I don't think. Yeah, uh, to you know, add a little more to my my point about Boston, if Giannis plays like he did last year, then sure, I agree with you. But this iteration of Giannis is like a dream come true for Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Grant Williams and Robert, like all those guys, right? Like he'll settle for these poor shots if he doesn't move you. He's not as aggressive as getting to the rim. Uh, he's taking more 16-footers. It's tough to know if that's just him trying things out in the regular season for the playoffs or if it's something he's going to do in the playoffs, and this is kind of who he is now. But I think that this version of Giannis that we're seeing this year is pretty much perfect for Boston to face. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right, but like, what team is built for Embiid? And that's why you know, I think there's an argument to be made for all these teams that the Sixers are the worst matchup. That being said, the Sixers are probably going to get bounced in the second round just because of the way that it's playing out and who they're going to face. But the Sixers are kind of a nightmare matchup just because of Embiid and because of the Embiid Harden pick and roll for I think uh, most teams they just they just don't have enough other pieces consistently sticking up or standing up and and playing well uh, for for it to matter really. Yeah, and I think there's an element I mentioned on the last episode about Denver and their toughest matchup being either Golden State or Memphis, and I eventually settled on Memphis because I felt like they were more equipped or better equipped to just dis- disrupt what Denver does well rather than take advantage of what they do poorly. I think the same logic applies here with Philly and Boston. I think Philly is better equipped to disrupt what the Bucs do well 
whereas Boston might be better equipped to target what they don't do well. But to me, the former, I think, is more valuable in a playoff series. That's that's kind of my operating assumption for now, at least. Yeah, I think that's fair. I also, uh, you know, on the other end of the court, because I didn't address it, I think Jason Tatum has matchups that he can pick on, right? Like we talk about him not getting to the rim enough. Well, there are matchups on Milwaukee that he can like get to the rim at will. Yeah. Same with Jalen Brown. Like they can pick on guys. Uh, yeah, we saw those... that last year, like Grayson Allen just couldn't really hang Javon. Even like Javon Carter is probably too small to really do much there. Yeah, right. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I think, I mean, either way, like, I, I mean, I'll be curious to see if the, uh, these three teams are just picking another team for the team that we're talking about, right? Uh, but for Boston, anyways, uh, assuming you got all your points about the Bucks, One more thing. I just think if they ran into Philly, it would be really interesting to watch the free throw rates of of Philly in particular in that series because the Sixers shoot the most free throws in the league. The Bucks give up the fewest free throws in the league, so that would be kind of an interesting battleground in that series. But we'll wait to see if that actually comes to fruition before we break that down. Yeah, uh, and for Boston, uh, I actually think this is the Sixers, uh, and, and because in large part because they really don't have an answer for Embiid now that Al Horford can't do it. Right, like we saw. Uh, last Saturday night, I think, was the good example, or not a good example, great example of uh, maybe time catching up to Al Horford a little bit. He used to be the foil to Embiid, right? He used to be the guy that everyone pointed to, him and Marcus Gasol, uh, and that just wasn't the case. Like, he went at him over and over and over again. Horford didn't stand a chance. If we're being honest, Boston won that game because Horford made, like, seven of seven threes, and sometimes that just happens, and it is what it is. Uh, but I, I think they have multiple options they can throw at Tatum, multiple options they can throw at Brown. You know, if they were to go at Harden, like that's not a good matchup for Tatum to go at, right? Because he he will give Tatum the matchup or the shots that Tatum wants to take, but not the shots that he should want to take, right? Like Harden's not going to let him get to the rim uh, with ease, and they have enough room protection behind him that even if it is if it is a problem, then uh, they can sort of clean it up. Maxi is the one that you can point to that that could potentially be a target for them, but again, like. You know, he's quick enough that he can give Tatum problems. Uh, and, it, 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 you know, there's no Grayson Allen, I should say, right? Like, there's none of those guys uh, on the Sixers, in the Sixers rotation, unless they decide to play Montrezl Harrell, which would be very funny. Uh, as Doc Rivers proved that he's willing to do last night. But uh, I, I just think, like, there, there are no spots for Boston to really pick on as much as they would want to. They're going to be more reliant on the system buckets. And there are too many good defenders on the Sixers. Uh, to to kind of give up those six those system buckets consistently, uh, I mean, like I said, we we have recent evidence of this last Saturday night, and they just their doubles on Embiid didn't even work, right? Like he is he's is so well developed past what used to work against him uh, that there there's no major foil, and if you don't have Giannis to put on him, like if you don't have someone like that, then then you're kind of in trouble. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. 
Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Yeah, that's a compelling argument. The Embiid thing is going to be an issue for them. Um, but it's it's one of those things I wonder, like, I think we talked about this with Giannis last year from the Celtics vantage point where like, if you know you're going to double him anyway, it matters less that you don't have a guy that can do a great job of it on him one-on-one because it's like, you're bringing the double team regardless. So you're going to have to rotate. You're going to have to zone up on the weak side, no matter what you do. Um, and in some cases that might even be preferable defensively than being like, we're just going to take our chances one-on-one because there really aren't any players out there who can do anything with Embiid one-on-one. Well, I think the, the problem at that point, though, is that how he's handled double teams this year. They're just a, a total non-issue. And yeah. they, they have so many intelligent offensive players. D'Anthony Mountain and P.J. Tucker come to mind specifically, and Tobias Harris has started to do this more, where they'll just get under the rim, right? And they'll they'll be there for an easy layup. Uh, or if Embiid tries to shoot over the double team, which he's, he's made plenty of those this year, too, uh, and misses, then they have a really good offensive rebounder right there to get an offensive board. So the... He is, and this is a discussion to be had later, but I've been so impressed with, uh, we, and we talk about this all the time, how Joel Embiid takes steps every year. Like, it's like, oh, this is the problem, and then suddenly it's not a problem. And, like, I, I don't know what we would even point to as, as the problem at this point, right? Like, it, it's not to say he's flawless, but, like, he's he's close to it um, for what you would want in a two-way center who plays at his level. But I, I just think, like, their solutions, their basic solutions that they went to in the past, their pet solutions, kind of don't work. Uh, and, and I don't know what the answer is. Like, honestly, the hope is that Harden just doesn't play well, which he's done in plenty of playoff series, but uh, that's not really anything that they can dictate. Right. Like that's, that's more about just kind of getting lucky and hoping yeah. for the best, which honestly, like, you know, the, the, the reason the discussion about the Sixers so uh, solely focuses on, well, James Harden has to show up in the playoffs is because like, if I think if he had a track record of playing well in the playoffs uh, or if this wasn't a concern, I think people, myself included, would be higher on the Sixers, right? Because they they have the fewest playoff issues, I think, of any of these teams, right? Like they have the most uh, ease of the, their their issues go away once that rotation shrinks, right? Once they're down to eight guys, pretty much all their problems go away. Like even the six minutes, eight minutes without Embiid are filled by six to eight minutes with PJ Tucker and your super switchable lineup, and you can you can do what you need to in those situations. So uh, honestly, like this is going to come down to Harden for the Sixers, and you know I. I am skeptical. Well, yeah. So, so I was just going to say that's part of why it is because that that I have that that I think the the Sixers are maybe a better matchup. There is like I think they have enough guys, enough bodies who can deal with Harden between Brogdon and Smart and Jalen Brown and Derek White. They just have all of these combo guards who can not only switch but also get over screens, which mitigates or 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 prevents you from having to switch when Harden tries to go after weaker defenders. And Boston is also has historically uh, at least been really good. Like when they do bring those double teams, like I mentioned, zoning up on the weak side, Xing out, closing out to shooters, you know, splitting the gap between two guys, you know, all of these defensive weak side concepts that we see in the modern NBA, they they're really good at those. And so 
I actually think despite the fact that they don't have that, you know, that one-on-one guy for Embiid, I, I think by committee, they're able to maybe solve that matchup a little bit better. And then Harden, I think one-on-one, they have the personnel to deal with him a little bit better. So I went with the Bucks as Boston's toughest matchup, uh, partly, again, because what we saw last year, I think Chris Middleton probably makes the difference in that series. Milwaukee also does a really good job taking away threes. They allow the uh, third fewest threes by percentage or by, by proportion of shots taken in the NBA, including the lowest corner three attempt rate while Boston takes the third most threes in the league and the second most corner threes. So again, another interesting statistical battleground there. Um, and then they also take away the rim. Well, obviously the bucks do. So I think they're, they're probably equipped to take away the shots that Boston wants to get a little bit more than Philly is. Although Embiid is a great rim protector and they do have good perimeter defenders, but I just think the bucks defense could, could really grind Boston's offense down to a halt um, in a way that Boston wouldn't be able to make up for because of their lack of answers to Giannis. Yeah, I, I think it all comes down to me for me, like the the what is Giannis, like the what version of Giannis, Giannis are yeah. we getting? Uh, and if if the assumption is it's this one, then like I said, I you know I would tend to think that's actually a favorable matchup for Boston. But like you said, if he plays like he did last year, you know Chris Middleton plays in that series, they probably win. Middleton has to continue to round into form. I think that's another thing that I keep bringing up, but like. He's got to be the guy. Uh, he's got to be the second best player on the team, essentially, for them to to get where they want to. Um, yeah, I don't think anything you said is incorrect necessarily. I just think this version of Giannis is less difficult for Boston to deal with uh, than than previous versions, and you know more so them than even even a team like Philly, uh, because you know they were giving him those shots anyways. Like now, Boston can kind of bait him into those, yeah. and that's an even greater advantage than what they previously had. I tend to think he'll he'll kind of turn it on in the playoffs. I hope and just start to put his head down when he when he sees Jalen Brown in front of me, he's gonna be like, yeah. "All right, I'm just gonna go to the rim." I don't I don't know that I have a reason to think that won't happen, but you can also part of the danger of like I I don't think you know dangerous may be the wrong word. Part of the issue with potentially trying new things is when you just keep doing those things. Like I would have hoped by now he would have been like, okay, like this isn't gonna be the thing that helps me, right? And then you pivot. He hasn't done that, right? Like it's still kind of yeah. well, he hasn't needed to. For sure, but like, if 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 that is not the solution, maybe you got to find something else. Yeah. Then, right, or just play how you play. Like, right, like I think it has become blatantly clear that they're that this is not the answer, right? Like that this is not yeah. how he should play. And so I don't know what continuing to do it solves. I well, guess. I I just think number one, I think it's a preservation thing. You just don't have to take the physical pounding. You don't have to That's expend as much effort. Like you know the the meme of the sketch of the guy in the chair with the video game controller and then the arrow pointing yeah, forward. He, and he forward. Le- yeah, yeah. I think Giannis is leaning back in the chair right now. And at some point he'll lean forward and he'll be like, all right, okay, I'll stop taking these jump shots. I'm going to go down to the block. I'm going to, you know, toast these one-on-one matchups, get to the rim, all that. At least that is my hope and my expectation. We don't know that. Cause again, like you say, he's, he's playing differently this year and that hasn't been as effective, but I think he and the bucks both know like, okay, when it comes time that we actually get tested and we actually need Giannis to go back to physical dominant Giannis. I mean, he did this against the Celtics like a week, two weeks ago. Granted, it was a shorthanded Celtics team, uh, but he just, you know, he's still capable of just physically taking over the game. And I would hope and expect that that'll be what he does when, when the Bucks actually get stress tested in the playoffs. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I, I would hope he would too. I do think it's interesting because whether they're the one eight or the two seven, uh, I think we're weirdly going to learn a ton about the Bucks postseason chances in their first round series, right? Depending on how he plays, uh, and you know maybe he 
keeps getting away with it because it doesn't matter and they're going to win in five no matter what. By the way, the Bucks are definitely losing game one. I don't know who they're playing, but they're definitely losing game one and then then rolling in the next four. Uh, well, let me like let it. me ask you, who would you because we're kind of saying like the yeah, Bucks yeah. don't want to see the Celtics or the Sixers and the Sixers don't want to see the Celtics or the Bucks. Well, I actually and... have I have one that I think is interesting for the Sixers. We, do you want to get to that well, first and then I was going to ask go for, down the for Milwaukee and Boston, who are the teams in the first round that you wouldn't want to see? Let's wait a second to get to that. Okay. Okay. I'll say for me, have we done the Bucks yet? Yeah, we have. Okay, let's, so, let's get through the Sixers real quick and then let's get let's do lower seeded teams for all these teams because I think okay. a lot of what you're about you're hitting at, I think I'm about to get to. Gotcha. I've uh, got one for the Bucks that I, I think they wouldn't want to see in the first round. Yeah. And so my matchup that I don't think the Sixers want to see, and like I'm I'm almost putting Milwaukee and Boston aside because I think their their success against those teams is more about James Harden's success than anything else. And you know, you, you make a good point about him not being able to ISO, but he also just doesn't do that that much anymore, right? Like, it's more pick and roll, it's more creating with Embiid. So, like, I just don't think it matters as much. Really, I think it, their success against those teams matters about, like, it's it's more about him and what version of him, him shows up. There's a team, though, that I think will give them trouble if they face each other, and I don't think they're going to have to face them based on how the stand is currently playing out. It's a team we've already talked about slightly on this pod, uh, and that's the Knicks. Uh, they're just so physical, yeah. right? Like, they're getting up in you. They're giving Embiid trouble. They don't get... I, this is anecdotal, I know, but it feels like they don't they get away with more fouls because they're so consistently physical that refs are like, well, I'm not going to call a foul on every possession, right? Like we, I think we've talked about that in the past before too with other teams, but they're so consistently physical. They have guys in Jalen Brunson and, and Julius Randle who maybe you're willing to o- leave open from three and you shouldn't because they'll make them when they're that open. Uh, and I, I just think they have enough guys to make things difficult for Embiid to really wear him out to really wear hard now, and then where you're really relying on guys like Maxi and Tobias Harris. Um, do I think they would win a series against the Sixers? No, but I think it, like, it could go seven, right? Like, And I think they could scare them. Uh, that, Like I said, that series does not look like it's going to happen because the Knicks are currently the five. But I just think their style of play, and who knows, maybe they'll just regress to being what they are, what Tibbs' teams do in the postseason that's completely flaming out because he won't make any adjustments and he won't you know, go away from a 13-man rotation unnecessarily. Uh, but if he were to actually do what I would do when they get to the playoffs, right, and shorten the rotation, really rely on Julius Randle, Jalen Brunson, pick and rolls. Like you can do four, one pick and roll, one, four pick and roll out of that if you want to limit R.J. Barrett's minutes a little bit. Uh, I, I think they could have some success and steal a series against a good team like that. And that, by the way, is like I think that's a team that these teams probably don't want to face just because of that physicality and because like they'll take you deeper into a series and make things tougher, you know, later in the playoff run. So the Sixers are a little bit like the Grizzlies for me, where I said with the Grizz, I I don't think I'd pick them to win. Like there are a lot of individual facets of different opponents that I think could pose problems, but there isn't one overwhelming weakness they have against any one particular team. I kind of feel that way against the Sixers too. Like they're just really good in a lot of areas. Don't have a ton of really pronounced weaknesses, but I'd also pick Boston or Milwaukee to beat them in a series. And so my answer to them was, the Bucks or Celtics watching their game against Dallas last night. I did have the thought that they could struggle against these kind of heliocentric high pick and roll teams, but they're really the only team in the East that would play right. that way with, with James Harden because the, the Celtics don't really do that. Or if they do, they're not scaring you. Like Jason Tatum is not Luka Doncic in the pick and roll. Like even Giannis doesn't really play that way. Chris Middleton and drew holiday 
don't pose that same threat. So if if there were a team in the East that kind of played like the Mavericks and had someone close to Luka Doncic's level where you have to get out and trap the pick and roll and bring Embiid really high out on the floor, that was what led to the Sixers getting down so bad in the first half or in the third quarter last night was just he had to chase Luka out on these pick and rolls, trap the ball, and then the Mavs are playing four on three. But I don't know what the team is that's going to put the Sixers in that position consistently. Um, and of course, against Luka, the alternative is like you switch Embiid onto Luka. Luka torched that matchup with step back several times. He looked pretty comfortable there. He can drive, do all that stuff. Um, so I think that kind well, even, of team, like if the Hawks say, were like, better, I would say the Hawks. Yeah. But the Hawks just aren't good. So I, like the Sixers can just overcome that disadvantage with their advantages in other areas. Um, but if the Hawks were, if this were like the 2021 Hawks, I'd be like, well, maybe I'd be scared of them fire the Sixers. But I just, there's no team on that level to me in the Eastern Conference. Well, and for what it's worth, like that game against Dallas, they you're right. Like they they were able to essentially play four on three all night and get a bunch of open looks. Usually those teams would shoot like 44 percent on those looks. It took them shooting 52 percent from three yeah. just to win that game by seven. Right. So like even even if they shoot like just regular old good uh, instead of out of their minds, the Sixers win that game. So like it yeah. took and, and a lot of those a lot of those looks were like those need a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And, and like uh, Luca and Kyrie going 13 of 21 from three, right? Changed that dramatically. Luca hitting seemingly every step back. Like he was, he was incredible last night. Um, you know, those things, they're just not going to happen yeah. on a game to game basis. And I think that was, you know, uh, the Sixers, for all intents and purposes, looked like they gave up on the game too. That was not good from Embiid. He looked like he had no interest in being out there the last like six minutes. Uh, there was yeah, an easy and their entire rebound. comeback came with Paul Reed at the five and like basically five backups in the game. I think Melton might have been in there, but that was it. Maxi was in there. Maxie, uh, yeah. During yeah. that. It was, I think it was like Maxi Mountain, Yang, McDaniels and Reed. Paul Reed really good last night. Paul yeah. Reed weird. It seems like he should be their backup center. Uh, and instead, Montrez Harrell got three minutes anyways. Um, but no, I, I think like I think that's a good point, which. Uh, maybe this is worth discussing. Like, then why aren't the Grizz and Sixers our favorites to make it to the finals? If, well, yeah, I was wondering that. Like, it's, it seems right? counterintuitive. Like, yeah, right. That's what I had the same thought too, right? Because I, when we talked about the Grizz, I think you made a really good point that they should be afraid of them more than anyone. It's like, well, they don't have to play them like ever under any circumstance. So, like, what yeah. what is what is holding it back, right? And I do think, though, like you said. Some of those heliocentric teams from the West would give the Sixers trouble in the finals. Uh, a team, I think pretty much all three top teams in the East would give the Grizz trouble in the finals, but they don't have to play them until they get in the finals. So I think it. I think this really just says a lot about, you know, the expectation that Harden will drop off once he gets to the postseason and that that's going to matter and that the, the Grizz won't be able to sustain any real half-court offense. Yeah. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.
tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. All right. I think there's one more team in the East. There might be two. We we might need to have a conversation about the Knicks at some point. Listen, I've already started the dialogue. But Okay. Okay. The last team we need to talk about, though, is the Cavs, who I would put closer to the fringes of this conversation. Certainly not on the level of the three teams we've been talking about so far. Yeah, they've really they dropped discussion. off of late, specifically yeah. since I said that they shouldn't, that they should be in the discussion. It feels like ever since then they've plummeted. Yeah. It's a tough, tough run for them. I still think they're a dangerous playoff team, especially first round or two. You know, they're going to be, they're going to be a player. They're going to be viable. I don't think, I don't think they're in like serious jeopardy. Although depending on the matchup, anyway, what is the team? <laughs> they're going to, they're going to, they're going to play the Knicks in the first round, right? Like we're going to find something out stands, there. And then either the Bucks, Celtics or Sixers in the second. Yeah. Uh, I I mean, I, I don't think they want to face any of these top three teams. Like, I just don't think they match yeah. up well with them. Is like, there I, one in particular that, I mean, not really. Like, I okay. guess you have like semi-decent options, like I said, against Giannis, but like the Boston stifles that offense pretty easily. They're, they're again, similar to Harden. Their playoff success is more uh, about like, can Donovan Mitchell make shots that he shouldn't, right? Yeah. Like that'll that'll just kind of determine how far they can go. Yeah, I know that's a cop out to not say anyone. I guess if you if I had to pick, like I would probably. Oh man, these, these teams really do have guys that can just eviscerate them. Probably, probably the Sixers, just because Embiid like it would just ragdoll Jared Allen like he has his entire career, and Mobley can't really do much to help. I had the Celtics for the Cavs. I I agree that Embiid is a bad matchup for them. Giannis is a bad matchup for them. Those are the two best. Yeah, like in the, the conference. They're, they're all they're all probably beating the Cavs in like five or six. Right, right. Um, but I th- that said, I think they have the personnel to match up with Milwaukee. Even though that personnel is a lot weaker than Milwaukee's version, it's like it, they're kind of a poor man's Milwaukee, at least in the front court, in a lot of ways. And so, like Allen and Mobley, theoretically. Okay matchup for Giannis and Brooke Lopez, but like Giannis is just, he's going to have his way with those guys, even though in theory they have the size and quickness and potentially scheme to do something. Whereas with Boston, I just think like they have too much wing depth and perimeter defense. Um, or I'm sorry, this the Cavs don't have enough wing depth or perimeter defense for Boston, who doesn't really want to get to the rim anyway, which is where the yeah. the Cavs are really good defensively. Like Boston isn't looking for the kinds of shots that Cleveland is good at taking away. Um, and they'll also, I think, force Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell to guard in a way that I don't think the Sixers and Bucks do because their best players are in the front court and the Cavs' best offensive players are in the back court. So they're going to force, or I'm sorry, Boston's best players are on the perimeter. I don't know, man. Maxi and Harden cooked Mitchell and Garland pretty well. That's like true. Two weeks that's, ago. that's a tough matchup. Yeah, <laughs> I, but I, I mean, don't. Yeah, Tatum hey, well, and Brown are kind of a different. Yeah. Oh no, for sure. But I, I do think like any good guards, like the the Bucks, just kind of like Drew Holiday's not really scaring yeah. you. Like if they had anyone with like a burst offensively, like they would terrify the Cavs. I mean, even Drew Holiday, like if it's Donovan Mitchell guarding Drew Holiday. Yeah, I mean, it's I, not great. I love that. And Mitchell, like, man, I got I had him on the like top five of my MVP ballot, and like he just decided to stop playing defense. Like, yeah. why I do think, you do that? Yeah, I think he's had this groin injury. I think that's been 
more yeah. of a, a big deal than it's been made out to be because he's playing through it. But I think he's clearly kind of being hampered by it. Ever since that 71 point game, he hasn't been quite as good. Yeah. And he, and he, like I said, he's just kind of stopped defending altogether, which is not yeah. good. Maybe he he'll he dials that back up for the play. Yeah. Um, I also think with Boston, their pick and roll defense is just too good for Garland and Mitchell to consistently dash them and get to the places where they want to go. Like I said, with White and Smart and Brogdon and Brown and Tatum, too many guys who can get over screens, prevent those pull-up threes, and then their bigs are some of the the smartest and craftiest and most versatile big men drop defenders in the NBA. So they they can just throw a variety of coverages at them. They can switch. They can come up to touch. They can play drop. They have help from the weak side. If Whether it's Williams or Horford guarding the primary action, the other is going to be defending the rim from the weak side and the Cavs don't really have the shooting to punish them for that. So I just think Boston defensively is pretty well equipped to guard the kind of spread pick and roll attack that the Cavs want to play with. And then you're just, it it comes down to, like you said, can the Cavs make shots in isolation and against those defenders, I don't love their odds the way I do against Philly or, or even Milwaukee. I mean, as long as it's not drew holiday guarding the ball, Milwaukee has some guys that you can go after defensively. I don't think those guys really exist for Boston. And so it's just going to be hard for Mitchell and Garland to generate quality shots off the dribble. Yeah, I was done with the scams discussion. As soon as we All right, well, let's it. move on then. <laughs> Who are the teams in the first round that if you're Boston, Milwaukee, and Philly, you don't want to see? I'll start by saying, and I, but think, like I, well, I don't think I have just, to flesh this out very much, but I, if I'm the Bucks, I don't want to see the Heat. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, I think that's Miami... Yeah, yeah. That, that seems pretty simple. Uh, and Philly, heat... I already, I already said the Knicks for Philly, which who they could theoretically face, but like Brooklyn is just free falling right now. Yeah, he had a gritty win over uh, over the Sixers the other night, mm-hmm. and then they played them without Embiid and got cooked, and they got destroyed. <laughs> which is just like it's very much Doc Rivers during the regular season, right? Like, like oh my best players out, we're gonna win by thirty. Like this yeah. is guaranteed. Uh, but no, I, I mean, there's a really good win for the Heat. Um, I, I think. It's so tough because the bottom of the East is so bad. Um, man, they're not in it right now, but like I feel like the Pacers could give the Celtics some trouble, right? Because they can just run, uh, and they, they will they will put you in position. We've seen that they can score on Boston probably better than, than most teams in the league. But if I had to pick among teams that are currently in it, I guess I would say Toronto, just because they're kind of like the poor man's version of Boston, right? And you're kind of looking yourself in the mirror a little bit. Um and they're they're going to be really good defensively in the playoffs. Like I feel like that's almost definitely true. They're going to you talk about shorting rotations. They're going to try to play four if they can. Uh, like, like Nick Nurse that wants nothing to do with a seventh man, let alone an eighth. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I think Toronto. Like like I said, all these series I think end in like five or six. Um. Although man, Miami Milwaukee would be interesting. Like, I, is it just Miami for everyone because of Jimmy Butler? Is that the right answer? Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, and I'm trying to be more interesting than that. I, listen, but, man, sometimes it doesn't have to be yeah. all that interesting. I mean, I just think Miami's kind of the best team of that bunch. Maybe other than, I mean, are we, where are we including the Knicks on this? Are they are they in the so, tier with the Cavs? Are they in the no, lower I, tier with the Nets and Heat? So it seems like they can only reasonably face the Sixers right now in the first round in all likelihood of the top three teams just because like they could fall back. Like to fall to the seven seed, uh, one, I, I think we're going to assume Brooklyn's going to keep free falling, right? Like they're going to. So they're not really in this discussion right now. So that aside, Miami's technically the sixth seed now then instead of Brooklyn. So to get all the way down to the Hawks, as who is now the eighth and would be the seventh if Brooklyn keeps free falling, they'd have to drop five games. And like, so like them falling into the play and just 
isn't all that likely unless Brooklyn gets their shit together, basically. Yeah. So you're really looking at Philly or, or Cleveland for for the Knicks. And I think, honestly, that's a nightmare for both those teams. Like, I wouldn't want to play the Knicks right now. If Miami jumps Brooklyn and then Miami becomes the six and Brooklyn's the seven, that would, as things stand oh, out, we'll see how the top shakes out. No, but... don't, don't do that to me. I do not want a Sixers-Heat first-round series. Well, I, I was going to say Boston-Brooklyn would be an interesting one. Just because now uh, that for the, for Boston's bench guys to get some run. Well, you know, like you call Toronto kind of the mirror image of Boston. I think the the Nets are that way a little bit, where they just have a lot of yeah, wind but depth. They're going to shut out a lot of worse. Oh, I agree. I agree. I mean, all these teams, like like we said, I, I would expect Boston to stomp any of Brooklyn, these teams. Brooklyn is one of the six worst teams in the NBA right now. But if they can get it together, I think the talent is there. I think the personnel, in theory, is there. And they could be kind of a feisty first round team. And the Celtics are a matchup where they, they're, they're still going to lose. They have less talent. But like stylistically, I think that could be an okay matchup for them just because they have the personnel to deal with Boston's guys individually in a way that they don't for these other teams. But again, I still think that they can't really deal with Boston that well. It's just comparatively, that's like an okay matchup. I think you need to watch Brooklyn. <laughs> I mean, I know what Brooklyn looks like now. I'm just saying, like, theoretically, a so better gonna, version of the Nets. I'm gonna I'm gonna read some final scores. Like, if the I, I know what the Nets are now. I'm saying if the Nets play, if the Nets individual <laughs> players play as well as they are capable of playing, that's an interesting matchup with Boston. I think. And the Bulls beat them by 44. I, I understand that. I understand the Nets that. scored 87 against that defense. They I, real, a, I realize that. I'm, they gave the up Nets 142. Play in the, playoffs, the way All they're right, playing well, now, you know what's they're fun not going to win a game. I'm assuming that they will play better than they have been playing. You know what's playing. fun about this? In two and a half hours, these two teams play. <laughs> so well, I can't like, wait. There's a chance by the time this publishes, this segment's not in anymore. <laughs> well, and, and when the Nets win by, by seven in a scrappy... You know, clawed so, out affair. I'm going to say, funny. hey, look, look at all these areas where the Nets really posed problems for the like, Celtics. This was, yeah, yeah, this was what happened. No, they're going to get smoked. <laughs> like, was, well, we'll see. They're they're a real bad team. Uh, no, I, I think the answer is probably just Miami for everyone. Jimmy Butler's really good. Yeah, that's all. Nothing more, nothing less. Well, they have some defensive versatility, I think, with Bam and Jimmy in a way that some of these other teams don't. I do think like Bam, like I people, we've definitely talked about this in the past. Past like people misconstrue what Bam is as a defender. Yeah. Like that's a guy that like Embiid eats alive, right? Like he's not that guy. Uh, he could do better against Giannis, but even then that's not ideal. Like I think Giannis probably smokes him. So uh, Boston, I think Boston and Miami are the, uh, or Miami is, is the worst matchup for Boston. I would say of, of that group. I want to catch up real quick. Cause we, this game has happened since we talked about the West but did you see the Clippers Warriors game last night? Uh, I watched part of it, and then I watched Draymond Green stand at the uh, at the rim while Russell Westbrook dribbled at the three point line. Yeah, and then I turned it off. How are you feeling about the Clippers right now? It's been a tough stretch for them. No, it hasn't. We talked been, about them on the episode, no, no, like including no, no, no. them in it this been, group of teams. That mm, nope, it is. I don't know that they belong been, in this group. It has been just as funny as we had hoped. Don't lie. Oh, oh I agree. I mean, tough it in is, terms of wins and losses. Yeah, but I don't really care about that right now. I am. I am more concerned with the hilarity of. All right, here's a take. They gonna make the playoffs? Well, that's what I'm wondering. Hold, because they're, they're down make, to seventh they're gonna make, place. Are they gonna make the play in? 
They're down to seventh place in the West. They've lost four in a row, have not won since the All-Star break. They're two games up on the Lakers, who are the 11 seed, and the Blazers, two and a half on the Blazers, who are the 12 seed. They might fall out of the plan. It looks bad. And we talked last episode, and this is still true, about the fact that Kawhi Leonard is starting to look like Kawhi Leonard again, which is makes it even more discouraging that they can't win a game. When I mean, and, and they've had these double and triple overtime and overtime games against Denver and Sacramento. I don't know if they went to triple overtime, but they're they're playing all of these long overtime games. Kawhi's playing all these minutes. He's looking amazing and they're still losing. It's just like no every time I watch the Clippers, I'm like, man, Kawhi is really balling right now. And I look around and they're down and 17. No one else is is pulling their weight. And I can tell that Kawhi Leonard agrees that no one else is pulling their weight. I can just Oh yeah. How dumb does Paul George look right now for advocating for Russ to join the team? As dumb as he looked when he did it and it initially happened. <laughs> it's oh man, dude. It, it, they're playing four on five and Kawhi's getting doubled every time he touches the ball and he's still going nuclear. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because they're he's getting doubled every time. He's making 42% of the shots he's doubled on. But when he passes it out of it, it's like, well, Russ is about to take a shot. He's got a 3% chance of making, so have fun. They also don't run any offense. I think I've said this before. Yeah, wasn't that wasn't wasn't Russ supposed to organize them? Like, wasn't that well, supposed isn't to be part Teron of the appeal? Lue supposed to be a good offense? I mean, I, I thought coming into this year, I was like, Teron Lue was like a good offensive coach. Like, I've liked what I've seen from him tactically in previous seasons. For whatever reason, he just stopped running offense this year. The Clippers don't I, run an offense. I cannot believe, given the the players on this roster, that not only do they have Russell Westbrook, but they choose to start him alongside Mason Plumley. Mason Plumley, yeah, and that's why they're twenty fourth in offense. Mason Plumley, who had twenty boards last night, which was over or almost half of the team's rebounds, and it was strictly because he was just chasing them. Like it was, these were not like good offense or good rebounds. Well, how many of like, them were his own misses? True. Russ did not get a single rebound last night, and it's almost entirely because Plumley was chasing all of those boards and making sure he Russ got all the easy ones. Russ cannot be happy about that. Yeah, Russ wanted all the easy ones when he got to LA. He can't even get those anymore. The two, the two triple-double kings. Yeah. Mason Plumley and Russell Westbrook. You cannot convince me that Robert Covington is worse than Mason Plumley. That's been a weird trend with him just not being in the rotation. He's good. He's. I mean, is he better than Marcus Morris? Marcus Morris doesn't look good. Marcus Morris didn't play last night, but yes, right. he is better than Marcus Morris. Well, yeah, he was he was out, but like when he when against He's that better. in that let's, Kings let's game, and game against the Nuggets, Marcus Morris he looks like his feet are in quicksand on defense. And the whole theory of the Clippers is like, well, they can switch, they can play these five out lineups, and Batum's at the five, and Morris is your four, and they don't have to get over screens; they can just switch every screen, and it doesn't matter if they can have, they don't have rim protection because they can just stay in front of the ball. But if they can't stay in front of the ball then it matters that they don't have rim protection, which they still don't really have, even now that Plumlee's on the roster. Zubash is the only guy that can protect the rim on that team. They also don't run offense, like I was saying earlier. They Sometimes well, they will run like a pin play, down to have we Kawhi or Paul George come off it, and then they'll catch the ball and wait for their defender to come back in front of them and then go one-on-one, and then they try to drive, but there's no space because Russell Westbrook is standing in the corner and his man sagging all the way off him. And so it just turn, if you're going to run one-on-one isolation basketball that – you know, is designed to get kick out threes or layups or mid-range jumpers, at least put some guys on the floor who can space the floor. Otherwise, there's no point. Otherwise, run some actions, run some sets. They're actually designed to get good looks. When was the last time you saw the Clippers run a set that wasn't out of a timeout that was designed to get a layup or a catch and shoot three? 
years. Seemingly. It doesn't happen. They just they run these rote actions. They're like, all right, this is just kind of a disguise to get Paul George the ball on the right wing, and now he's just going to go one on one against his guy and hope that he has the matchup advantage. But oh, he doesn't. And so he's just going to settle for a pull-up 17-footer, and he'll make it 44% of the time, but that's just not good enough. I'm so tired of watching the Clippers play offense. Even before they signed Russ and Plumlee, we talked all the time about how boring their offense was to watch. It's even worse now, but they can switch, I guess. So, yeah, let's put them in the title conversation. Do you feel better? A little bit. I was so uh, the, disappointed. The, I mean, Warriors, I, yeah. the Warriors won by 24 last night after shooting 30% from three. And um, we'll remind people, Steph Curry is still not playing. Yeah, let's uh, let's play a little game, though. Uh, is Robert Covington better than, we'll go down the roster, Paul George? No. Kawhi Leonard? Nope. Mason Plumlee? Depends on the matchup. Does it? For the way that they want to play, if we're assuming that the, what they want to do right. is be able to play Batum at the five, or, co- or whoever you want to call the five, Covington is a better fit for that. Russell Westbrook. Yes. Eric Gordon. Eric Gordon might suck. Debate. Yeah, his defense has been real bad. Yeah, and if he's if he's shooting two of ten from three like he did last night, well, yeah. I don't know what he's bringing. Well, and this uh, is also the thing. Nicholas Batum. Oh, we like, are not done with the game. Well, just I, I want to come back to the game, but I'll interject at this point. Do when you your really whole defensive scheme is designed around switching then you actually need guys who can stay in front of the ball. And the Clippers might have four of those guys. Nick Batum. Uh, he is not better than Nick Batum. He is not. I would agree with that one. Norm Powell. I don't think so. I think Norm Powell's had a good season. I do too, but Norm Powell has not been great of late. Uh, Bones no, Highland. Slump, but he'll, he'll, he'll get back. He's better than Bones Highland. Yeah, Bones Highland, pretty bad. Uh, Amir Coffey. That's interesting. It's, it's puzzling to me that if they're not playing Covington, they're not giving coffee a chance you would think well, if they're gonna pull covington out of the rotation they'd give coffee yeah. a chance covington's better than coffee though right here's Probably. one i think you might disagree with terrence Mann. i think man's better i need uh someone to explain to me what terrence Mann does well because i've been trying to figure this well, out i think in theory i he, think he right 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 well. right i think the first two words you just said there are crucial because he's six five two fifteen built like a linebacker right like in play really physically is I theoretically a good defender theoretically finish around the rim he is not great at either of those things I think he's a better point of attack defender and he's better at getting downhill sure and you know what they don't need guys that get downhill at all well but I kind of disagree though I kind of think that's Mm, what they need I don't because Russ is already going to do that a million times but but he's not though he's going to try but he's but he isn't doing it. Like this is why I he's think getting Norm there. Powell's so important. The ball is just Norm Powell's the only up. guy that can get to the rim. That is true. But Terrence Mann is also not good enough at it to for it to make a difference to me. Um, even as a point of attack defender, yes, he's better than Covington. But like, I I don't know. I, like this idea that Terrence Mann was untouchable at the trade deadline is insane. Was that idea? He's fine. Yeah, that, oh. that's why they didn't get involved with certain guys. Like. He's not that good. He's like the seventh, eighth best player on a title winning team. I don't even think he's a starter long term. What are we talking about? I'd rather have Luke Kennard than Terrence Mann. This is why I was lower on the Clippers coming into the season. This, this, everything we've been talking because about. Because of like, Terrence Mann? No, not specifically because of Terrence <laughs> just Mann. Just because, because of this Terrence, Terrence Mann vendetta that you have? I just felt like there were all of these weaknesses they have that were being ignored because they could play five out and they could switch. They could play Batum at the five and look at all these shooters they have. Well, and they then, have Kawhi and Paul George. It's even worse than I expected it to be. 
I'm just going to I'm going to fire the takeoff. If they don't take Russ out of the rotation completely or cut him, the Clippers aren't even going to make the play. At what point does Kawhi Leonard just walk into Toronto's office and and book a flight to literally any other and NBA say like, he refused to leave until he's traded to that team? Like, listen, man, you got to stop playing this guy. At what point does he just have that conversation? No, I think the real the he will, he'll because of Kawhi's personality, I think he probably lets it go, right? Like he lets gets the offseason. But instead of demanding that Russ leave, he demands that Paul George is traded as retaliation for getting Russ on the team in the first place. Yeah, what it's are you thinking if you're Kawhi Leonard here, looking all around you like <laughs> look at this I'm the idiot. one guy yeah. I rehabbed and came back and I look like myself again, and all you other knuckleheads are just letting me down because when i watch the clippers that is my takeaway yeah i mean paul george has been really good this year yeah but he, he's been, he even still has his moments where i'm like man what are yeah, you but he's been normal paul george like he's never been a 60 percent true shooting guy right like he's, yeah, and he's always had those moments he's always been like a top 15 player not top seven player whatever yeah uh i like this i i will say though and i love to do this when things go poorly for teams but this really does feel like it's got blow up potential like they missed the playoffs and oh my god oh well they like, they made that trade in 2019 it's now about to be the 2023 off season. If things aren't happening by now, you got to do something to make something happen. Yeah. And Paul George is going into his age 23 season uh, next year and is mind you not getting any healthier. And Kawhi is going into his age 32 season next year. So the teams in the NBA that have a worse net rating than the Clippers as of now, Mm, March 3rd, 2023, are the Magic? Oh, I just looked at this. Oh no! The Pacers, the Hornets, the Pistons, the Rockets, and the Spurs. That's it. Six teams. Twenty-four to twenty in net rating is hilarious to me. In that order: Clippers, Lakers, Hawks, Heat, Blazers. All of these teams are supposed to be trying to win. The Lakers, I think, is probably an outlier just because their team team changed drastically and everything. Like what they are now isn't what they were. All of these other teams are very much that team. Scroll up to. Uh... Number 19 in net rating. I know. I saw it. I saw plus, it. Plus plus 0.1. <laughs> the Washington Wizards. Right on track, baby. The much maligned Minnesota Timberwolves ahead of all of these teams. The Jazz. The Thunder. We've been smoking the Pelicans for a month now. They're way ahead of the Clippers. They're a lot better than Clippers, yeah. The Bulls. Okay, we can still let's stop talking about the Clippers. I'm I'm getting sad. I just know, dude. I think I think we're in for a reckoning, though. I think I have you know low I mean? expectations, like, and they've even failed to live up to those. Everyone likes to do the who's the next superstar on the move, and I gotta tell you, there's two of them in Los Angeles. I just want the Clippers to run some good offense. I just want the Clippers to run Russell Westbrook out of town. Um, we can leave it there. I think with with the Clippers and I don't with all know how these we teams. ended up there. Honestly, I don't either. Yeah, it was a really weird sidebar that we just went on there um, it was very fun though i enjoyed i don't it. know nugs grizz tonight that's going to be a good one can't wait to see how that one turns out uh what's the early games game? tonight the celtics nets celtics nets that's right not the matchup it was uh probably billed as when they booked that no they probably match. probably have some regret but like the real the real heads know magic hornets seven o'clock i was gonna say utah okc at eight no utah okc well i don't think shay's playing which kind of that's true dude even honestly i don't care i was watching the the thunder i'm also very excited for wolves lakers for what it's worth like uh assuming ad is playing in that game like i I think we're learning a lot about the lakers right now and they're winning so the jared vanderbilt revenge game nick's heat blazers hawks little trey versus dame showdown i thought about going to that blazers hawks game tonight 
but I, I, will, you I got, will not be going. You got two hours. You can still make that decision. That's going to do it for this episode. Thanks to anyone who stuck around all the way to the end. Through our I'm long sorry clip, to anyone who stuck around to the end. Through the long Clippers diatribe. Hopefully that, that wasn't too depressing of a note to leave on. Um, if you enjoyed this episode or any other episode of Read and React, please leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. That really helps out a lot. Um, tell people about the show. Spread the word either on social media or word of mouth. However you want to do it. If you know someone you think would like the show, they're a fan of the NBA, they're a fan of a specific team, whatever it is, um, don't hesitate to tell them about this uh, unless, show. Unless they're a fan of the Clippers, I would hold off until like an episode or two and then then tell them about the show. Yeah, maybe, maybe not the Clippers. Mavs, probably don't want to tell your Mavs friends about this either. Other than that, you can send us an email at readandreactpodcast at gmail.com. Readandreactpodcast at gmail.com is the best place to send all of your thoughts, questions, concerns, etc. about the show. Um, and yeah, make sure to follow John's work covering Penn State Athletics at the Center Daily Times. You've got some uh, some exciting stuff coming up with the Big Ten tournament with both yeah. the, the paper and the podcast. Tell people about that. Yeah. So on Wednesday. Did I say NCAA tournament, by the way? No, no you just said tournament. And, okay, and I meant Ten Big tournament. Ten. Yeah, 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 yeah Big no, Ten tournament. No. And, and, and by the way, Penn State wins on Sunday. They're probably going to be in. Right now, they're the last team in, according to Joe and Artie, which is wild, because they blew a 19-point lead on Sunday. Came back, beat Northwestern on a game winner, uh, which was a very entertaining game. But no, next week I'll be heading out to Chicago on Wednesday. We'll have uh, every game covered that Penn State is in. And then on Friday at the over-under bar in Chicago, uh, beyond the Big Ten, the other podcast I do, uh, I do the Nittany Gritty with Tim Frazier, as we've mentioned on here before. Uh, but there will be a live podcast. Evan Turner will be there. I will be there. There will be a bunch of people there. I believe Evan is is hosting the whole thing. But yeah, come check it out. Check it out. Be at the over-under bar. Three to seven central time, I believe. Nice. You got some material prepared? You think, dude, I don't prepare for anything. <laughs> some jokes, some stand up. No, I the routine. I, this is and this is true. Even when I do interviews, I do like I mean, I know what I know and I do like the basic amount of prep, but I don't have any like questions prep yeah. when I do interviews for stories and stuff. Like I'm going there to have conversation. Just riffing, baby. That's right. Thanks everyone for listening and sticking around all the way to the end. We appreciate it. We will catch up before too long. We're coming down the home stretch here. Um, so until next time, everyone stay safe. Take care of yourselves, take care of each other. And John, I'll talk to you later. Talk to you soon. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.